Welcome to the Player 2 Podcast with Sean and Ian, where all we do is games. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 6 of the Player 2 Podcast. we got a special guest today. We have Alyssa from Occupara Games, a senior producer and overall very cool person. Um, you should definitely check her out on her streams and some of the games that she's been working on. Uh, how are you doing today, Alyssa? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Oh, I'm hanging in there, just uh, waiting for this cold weather to to finally end, even though it hasn't really even begun yet. Oh. But um, <laughs> so today, we kind of wanted to talk to you about you know some of the things that you that you got going on. Talk to you about what a senior producer is, a little bit about Occupy Games, and some of the stuff that you've had a hand in, and then talk about um, some of this post-apocalyptic kind of community culture that you belong to. Um, Cause it's very cool. I've seen a lot of your stuff on Twitter. I've seen a lot of your stuff on TikTok. And as I was telling Ian before the show started, like to me, it seems like Mad Max meets Max Headroom in a lot of the, a lot of the style. And um, it's very interesting and very intriguing to me. So I'd like to jump into that a little bit later. If, if that's okay with you. I'm always happy to talk apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> uh so so what's what's new with you what what uh what do you got going on any any games you've been playing lately that's been pretty notable for you yeah so i've been playing kind of a mix of retro stuff i actually went back and i've been playing mm-hmm. banjo tooie which i never played as a child and i'm playing it for the first time so it's interesting to me to play a retro game from a modern perspective especially since i loved the original um but mm-hmm. i, I as far as modern stuff goes, I've been playing a lot of just weird, surreal stuff, whatever the weirdest, obscure, single dev projects I can find. Uh, so yep. one that I just hopped into that I've been having a lot of fun with, it's called Hypnospace Outlaw, which is like an alternate universe 90s internet where you have to do police internet work and you're fighting the hackers and stuff. It's really weird and well done. Uh, interesting so it's got like a cyberpunk feel almost in a way yeah there was a game that i played a few months back that it it may or may not it's probably not the same as what you were playing but it was very interesting it was called her story i don't know if you've ever heard of it i do know her story yeah Uh, yeah uh and if you're not familiar with it it's essentially Mm -hmm. you are a person going through archive footage of these four interviews but you only get them in tiny little bits and pieces and you have to kind of you search this like database of these archive footage by keyword. And the thing is, you don't know the keywords to find them. They're not complete videos, but you take clues off of these small snippets to find bits and pieces, to be able to piece these archive footages together to get this whole story, you know, throughout this game. It's, it's very interesting. It's, it looks like old VHS footage, like, you know, that, that real blurry, you know, cop interview, right, like almost like interrogation a PS1. Room like inspired yeah, game or something. Yeah. Have you played that one, Alyssa? I have. That one actually did really well with like the award circuit. I don't know how much people enjoy playing it as a game, but as a concept, <laughs> it's really cool. And, and the Samulkra titles are very similar to that as well, except it's it's like a phone experience where you're getting messages, text messages and stuff like that. You know, kind of interesting yep. trying to blend immersion and reality. They're doing some neat stuff in games for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I played it on stream a few months ago, and it was very interesting, but it's very cryptic, uh, for sure. And um, 
Yeah, so I, I I like that kind of stuff. I like those weird, quirky, unique indie games. Um, you know, Ian's not much of an indie guy. I'm a big indie guy. I, I'm I, not I here. I'm sucker games. for mainstream stuff. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason that they're popular. <laughs> yep, for sure. Yeah. Um, anything at all that you're that you're excited for to come out? Anything upcoming that's kind of top of your list yeah one that i'm really looking forward to is called she dreams elsewhere which is a, an indie jrpg jrpg style game that's got really really interesting artwork um been looking forward to that one i feel like i've been waiting for it for years and years i have no idea when it's coming out <laughs> uh, another one that looks really interesting is called key locker it's like a cyberpunk rhythm fighter game that also has kind of rpg elements that looks really interesting mm-hmm. that just funded on kickstarter not that long ago i actually back a lot of i back a lot of games on kickstarter still uh, another one that i backed is called nine years of shadows which is just a really just gorgeous gorgeous metroidvania game from a mexican team of about 10 people and it's got a lot of the original composers from the castlevania series and uh, it's, it's actually got more of the metroid elements than most of the modern metroidvanias which lean heavily into castlevania so i'm looking forward to that one a lot. right nice um so are there you know being being that you work for you know an indie game company are there any indie game companies that you tend to favor their product because you know they're consistently right in your wheelhouse is there who are some of your favorite uh developers or publishers as far as publishers go, I feel like um, Digerati has quite a few titles that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neon Doctrine, they focus on horror and roguelike stuff. So they've got a lot of really weird off the wall and they publish a lot of Southeast Asian stuff, which doesn't really get a lot of uh, play in America. So it's kind of fun to see their right. stuff. And uh, Devolver, which is like the least indie of all the indie game companies. Right. But they, <laughs> they still have a lot of really cool stuff that I like a lot. They had a, they had Runer, which I think is an absolutely fantastic game from a Polish company. Uh, yep. Probably those three. Nice. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just a sucker for a good, like unique story that you, that you just don't see a whole lot in the AAA titles, you know, you get these big productions in the AAA games, but in these indie games, you get a much more personal and unique story in my mind. And I, I really appreciate that kind of stuff with the indie games. Yeah. Narrative is definitely more important in any, and since the teams are so small, you get more of a consistent viewpoint, right? Like when you've got teams of hundreds yeah. of people, it's really hard to have an individual story come out where when there's just teams of one or three people it's it's a lot easier to tell a personal story that's very close to you yeah a more uh concise vision so for working with Occupara, can can you tell us a little bit about Occupara, like some of the games that might be known for um just maybe a little bit about the company in general yeah, Akupara just celebrated our five-year anniversary not long ago, and we are both a developer and a publisher. I'd say we're probably more known for our, our publishing titles. Uh, our biggest one uh, recently, Grime, which is a big Souls-like mm-hmm. 2.5D Metroidvania game. Very, very good. We also released one recently called Behind the Frame, which is kind of a narrative painting game that has very big Studio Ghibli vibes. Uh, we also do the dark, te- the dark side detective series, which is a well-known 
award-winning point-and-click adventure game that's got supernatural overtones. Those are really fun. Uh, And then we've got several upcoming, I would say we're focusing a bit on card and dice style, like deck building games right now and and some management sim type stuff. Um, Those deck building games seem to be very popular right now with, you know, Slay the Spire, Inscription, Inscription, and that kind of stuff coming out right now. It seems to be very much so trending and no no complaints because if somebody can come up with a unique card game, I'm definitely willing to try it. Right, right after our last show, we were talking about inscription, and I had to go look more into it. And it's actually it's a lot deeper than I anticipated. Yeah. It's a really great looking game. Yeah, I have it as a, a task to myself to go and do some research because I, on the surface, <laughs> I'm like, why did this game do so well? But I just see it blowing up. Everyone, same game of the year. Game of the year, yeah. Well, it's weird because we just did our game awards show last <laughs> week, and um, you know that was on some of the lists, and it's like. That game's been out a month. Like that's it's crazy that it's already like getting so many award nominations right. and it just came out. And uh, it's definitely like I, to me, it's a very unique spin on kind of the the Slay the Spire kind of formula of you know the the card and you kind of go up this table kind of deal. And um, it's definitely I, a lot more narrative than yes. Slay the Spire is. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, so. You're the senior producer at Occupar Games, and I'm curious, like, what what is the job of the senior producer? What are you, what are you responsible for there? Yeah, so it varies a little bit from company to company, and I work on both of the publishing side and the development side. So I, on both sides, am responsible for timelines and priorities and task tracking and deliverables and tasking. I also run like the porting process and making sure that everything is on schedule there. I run the marketing and publishing team. So I do all of the store page submissions. I do all of the the build submissions and make sure that we pass certification with like Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, um, okay. do all the ratings. Uh, I handle a lot of the biz dev stuff and kind of just communications with the company. I do a lot of corporate branding and HR type stuff. Lots and lots of documentation and spreadsheets. <laughs> paperwork. Lots. Love it. I actually enjoy the paperwork aspect of it, but I, I basically <laughs> make sure that the stuff that gets outlined in design actually gets accomplished and stays in scope and in a reasonable timeline and under budget. So I also okay. so it's definitely like a, like a, a big picture role, but kind of also getting your fingers in a little bit of everything at the same time. It's big picture and small details. So it's really yeah. just making sure that other people don't have to think about that stuff and making sure that they stay unblocked and that they have everything that they need to do their job and that they know what their priorities are and that everything is to the specs that have been outlined. So they don't have to do a bunch of revisions and things like that. Sure. So then what, uh, I guess, being a senior producer and doing all that, what kind of games have you had a personal hand in, if you can talk about them? Uh, since I've been at Akupara, I've worked as a producer before Akupara, but here specifically, okay. I worked on Grime. I worked on a handful of vertical slices, which is when you you make a game that goes to a pitching phase before it gets funded. Uh, then gotcha. I've worked on a Dark Side Detective, Spinch, Relic Hunter Zero. Before that, I worked on a title called War Machine Tactics at another company. I worked on Starblood Arena, which was a VR, PSVR title uh, based on um, 
Descent. Uh, I've worked, okay. I worked at, I worked in QA before I joined into production. So I worked at THQ and Insomniac Games on titles like Ratchet and Clank and Resistance and uh, a, a lot of older THQ titles. I was, I started in 2007 and then okay. upcoming titles. I've got Absolute Tactics, which is uh, kind of a Final Fantasy Tactics style game okay and i've got a couple other projects that we have not just announced but we will be announcing soon that are very cool i'm excited about nice nice so you've definitely definitely been around the block with uh not just senior producing but but a number of other roles i yeah i work in marketing and community management i've done social media and at my current job i would say i have between seven and 10 projects that I'm working on simultaneously. I also work with another publishing organization called the Indie Houses, which is a collective of seven other publishers. And I help organize a lot of stuff across uh, multiple publishers through the Indie Houses. Well, goddamn. Uh, thanks for making time <laughs> for us. <laughs> uh, so I guess, could you maybe give us a rundown of like, how, how the game development um, process works, like the, what, what is the, the chain of events that goes from a game being someone's idea to being published with, with Akupara? So for a game that is being published, and I've been on kind of both sides of the coin here, pitching it, okay. pitching it to other publishers or financers or having a game pitched to us. Generally, you start with a demo build more often than not because it's the easiest to tell if someone has the ability to take a great idea and actually make it into something fun because a lot of things sound really fun on paper but turn out to not be fun or people just don't quite have the skills to execute on great ideas. Uh, so, so the demo is really the thing that you focus on first and it's called a vertical slice because you take kind of every aspect of the game and, and show a top-down version of this is what one chunk of this game would look like in its complete, okay. in its complete state. And from there, uh, it's, it's usually self-funded or they will have some, or they'll work on, on spec so that people will get paid on the other end of it. Or there's all sorts of different ways that people can get the funding for the initial demo build. Um, and ideas come from anywhere. It can be one person who has an idea and finds people on a project or people collectively come up with the concept and work on it together. And then from there, you usually take it to someone who will be funding the project in some way. So that can be a publisher or that can be just a straight investor or that can be like a Kickstarter. It can be kind of a bunch of different ways that you fund the game or you self-fund if you have previous games that you've released that are paying a, kind of a residual income. So, okay. Okay. so we receive a lot of pitches and then when we receive a pitch, it will go through a review process with our team where we play the build, we look at their timeline, we look at their budget, we look at the team, we give dedicated feedback, and we kind of go, it's almost like a dating experience where you, you kind of go back and <laughs> forth and make sure that you're a good fit, both on the financial right. side and that the both the teams have similar goals, like that we would provide them the services that they want out of their game that we think that they would be a good partner 
And then you go through kind of the contract phase of making sure that the terms are agreeable on both sides. And then from there, we, sure. we help get them the rest of the way through development with feedback, with money. We generally handle the porting. So we bring it to other platforms and then we help on the distribution side. So we handle getting it released through all the partners. We do all the marketing, all, all of the ratings and kind of all the stuff that actually takes a game from being an idea and getting into the hands of people. Sure. I know the one that definitely uh, stood out to me being a bit of a YouTube fanatic myself. I, I watch a lot of Markiplier and I know I saw like you guys had Damien, you know, I imagine it was something similar where Mark, you know, came to you guys with a pitch and some sort of demo uh, of what he wanted to do and and uh, you guys got to publish it for him. Yeah, so Damien was we actually developed that and that was just an animation or developed and that one, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a different process where sometimes someone will have something an idea that they want made and they need a team to make it. So those are more work for hire projects and you go through a, okay. a traditional bidding process similar to how you would working in film or fabrication where, oh, where, sure. where they go to different partners and say, I have this concept. I need a team who can make it. What does your timeline and budget look like to make this thing that I want made? What does your team look like? Uh, you know, what have you done in the past that makes you a good candidate for that? And then you kind of go up against other people for a project and they decide who they want to move forward with it. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So do you guys do a lot of physical releases then, or is it mostly digital? We do a ton of physical releases. And you do. right now okay. we work mostly with I Am 8-Bit, who's really artsy, but we've worked in the past with a Limited Run. and um, Oh, sure, yep. I guess th- those were the two main partners we've worked with. Okay. Is uh, working with Limited Run pretty good? Because they, they seem to have mixed reviews every time i see something on twitter from them you you got is basically if i feel like there's two sides of the fence like some people love them some people hate them like are they are they have they been pretty good to work with for you guys i actually haven't worked with limited run directly myself it's been all all i am a bit since i joined on um i know they make really good products uh i am a bit is more on the artsy intro yeah, I, I am a bit more on the artsy side of things. And uh, so Limited Run, it, I, I've also heard maybe mixed things from consumers, but I'm, I'm not super intimate as to what the process is like working with them directly. Uh, physical games are just kind of challenging in general because you have to go through the actual production timeline. So it adds on additional complexities that when you're just distributing digitally, it's not really something you have to think about if you're releasing on physical you also have to go through a much more intensive and expensive ratings process because releasing on physical requires uh ratings that digital does not so limited run i've i follow a little bit as a consumer and i i know some people have issues with them i can't really speak super intimately about what the process is like and I I try not to disparage any partners just as a as a point of ethics. For... Right, good, right, yeah, good for practice. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like uh, in February, I ordered myself the Scott Pilgrim KO edition because I'm a huge Scott Pilgrim fan, and um, 
you know, then you got all the uh, the shipping issues and the all that stuff that's just kind of delayed it. So I think uh, I, I won't see mine until next year. So I'll, I'll have been waiting a whole year for my Scott program copy, but um, I'm very excited for it. But I mean, anytime that I've interacted with them on Twitter or, you know, through email or something like that, they, they've been, they've been just fine. I mean, it's not, it's not their fault that, you know, the supply chain is broken right now, you know, and you can't hold that against them. You know, if I could understand if a product came in and it was, like way lower quality than what someone was expecting, how somebody could be upset about that. Bethesda. Yeah. You want to get this, uh, this bad, this far cry bag or yeah, what, leather, what was it again? The leather, it was like the a fallout. leather satchel fallout 76 yeah. bag and it ended up being <laughs> nylon with plastic zippers. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I find that a lot of people don't understand the difference between, something a company can control and something that a company can't control. And people really pin the blame on the company for the things they can't control, like supply chain issues or, you know, th- things like that. Whereas, you know, you got stuff where they can't control, which is like quality control and, you know, making good on, you know, the promises they make through their marketing and their advertising and their, their product pages and stuff like that. Do do you find that that's pretty common for a lot of the things that you deal with? Is that you know you you take the blame for stuff that's like literally nothing you can control, and it's just but it it just ends up being your fault anyway somehow. Well, I I mean I don't expect people outside to have an intricate understanding of what the process of game development really looks like. So mm-hmm. we definitely see people who are attributing blame incorrectly yeah. from time to time but I, it, it's not something that i take super personally because there's there's just really no reason for them to know what that process looks like even within games it can be kind of confusing sometimes uh, I, I know the board game hit, industry got hit super yeah. super hard this year from all the supply chain stuff and mm-hmm. it just ate mm-hmm. into their profits because the shipping tripled uh, but, you know, there are also things that game companies can control a lot of what you just outlined there. And uh, sometimes people it's it's impossible to make everyone happy regardless. Oh, yeah. So all, you can, all you can do is is try and make good customers of the people that you actually want to be your customers, because some yep. people just want to be dicks regardless. <laughs> some people just love to hear themselves complain. I, I've never understood yeah. that, but. God, I, I I can't even stand to listen to myself when I complain sometimes, let alone these people who do it as a hobby sometimes that you just – you see videos online all the time, people just complaining to complain. And it's incredible that – Nobody's that making you, you be there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if we could shift gears here a little bit, I'd like to kind of jump into that post-apocalyptic stuff that – we were talking about earlier. Um, so I've seen a lot of your stuff on social media, on Twitter and TikTok, and you know, obviously, you know, jumping into your streams, I can definitely see the the stuff that's in the room behind you. It's definitely some interesting stuff. Uh, what what's the story behind this community and culture of post apocalyptic um, living and collecting that that you're a part of? 
Yeah, so it started actually uh, kind of through cosplay, and mm-hmm. uh, I've always done a lot of costumes, and then it jumped into uh, modeling. And um, the the post apocalyptic community I'm a part of is called Wasteland Weekend, and it recently expanded into a cyberpunk community, which is uh, the same but also separate. Uh, and it's it's a festival that happens out in the desert. Generally, people call it like. Mad Max Burning Man just for shorthand where you know it's it's a big camping event it's fully immersive everyone's in costume a hundred percent of the time we build all these big sets and stuff like that and I run one of the largest entertainment camps with my partner who's a professional fabricator so there's a car a car building community we run a movie theater out there we run an arcade and everything runs off of generators and stuff like that and uh, it, so it's a week long event, but they have stuff that kind of happens year round and smaller events and photo shoots and weekend events. And there's just a big community around it. And uh, I, I have so much big s- stuff that it just, <laughs> it just kind of lives in my house and my backyard set up. We have a bunch of car projects in progress and we're building for the cyberpunk event right now. And uh, I just my permanent structures at home also just have that aesthetic because I enjoy it a lot. Sure. sure. I remember seeing a uh, post a while back. Did you have some kind of like a garden thing going on too? That was kind of like in that same style, like not, not like your traditional garden you would just see in someone's backyard, but did you have like a garden of some sort that was like in metal buckets or like some, interesting stuff going on or am i just imagining things no that did happen yeah so we do (laughs) we do some homesteading also and um the entertainment industry is incredibly wasteful like when there's a a set that gets built more often than not they just throw all this perfectly usable material and props in the garbage and um so we tend to save a lot of materials and repurpose them and do upcycling and part of that goes into our wasteland stuff but part of it is also just around our house so i do i have a a full vegetable garden at my house that is just built off of discarded materials that would have gone into the dump otherwise and uh, a lot of our cars are built out of that and uh, yeah, it, it is kind of a sustainability society to some degree, too. I wouldn't say we're traditional, like, apocalypse preppers sure. or anything <laughs> like that, although there are a handful of those who get attracted to the community. Right. They they misunderstand what you're trying to do, you think? or uh, I mean, just kind of playing war has a tendency to attract very right-wing people or ah. very leftist liberal people. And there's not a lot of in between. And so they, there's kind of both sides of the coin that come into the community yeah. who have their own interpretation of what it's about. Yeah. Okay. Every, every community I would say has their extreme sides and, and things like that. And you mentioned that with <laughs> Warhammer right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you said also you do a lot of, uh, or you do some Renfair stuff as well, correct? Kind of. Uh, I do medieval reenactment through oh, okay. the society, so the Society of Creative Anachronism. So Renfair is more fantasy based, where gotcha. the SCA is all actual historical reenactment. So everything has an extreme research uh, okay. element to it. You do your best to use the actual fabrics, the actual techniques. I would say that's more of like an archivist type of role where they're really trying to maintain techniques 
and literature and art forms that would have otherwise died out. So there's a lot of historians and teachers. Gotcha. It's really cool That's that cool. you you do that because I actually I work with a guy who one of his hobbies is um, period accurate sword fighting. And cool. he's been doing it for like four or five years. He does it three to four times a week and he's using broadswords. He's using battle axes and all these other things. And it's just crazy to me. Like, I, I don't think I'd want to take that risk that uh, <laughs> somebody's going to swing a broadsword at me and, you know, I'm going to get hit, but it, it's just insane to me that, um, you know, he, he does this kind of thing as a hobby, especially that much. And, you know, that it's, very period accurate for for what he's doing but yeah he was i think he was saying like there's battle axes there's broadswords and yep. i think he did some other stuff with like um what they call them, like rapiers and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. like you know some of the thinner blades i think is what that refers to but yeah um, we've got rapier fighting and thrown weapons and archery yeah. and equestrian stuff i want to say he had a um what is it called a mace is that the one with the mm-hmm. ball on a stick yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He he has that like he does that like as part of his like medieval period fighting and that kind of stuff. It's just, I had no idea that was like even a thing. Like like I don't know where he goes to do, to do this. If it's just like popping out popping down with a couple of friends at the local Y or something like that, and just like <laughs> hey let's let's go sword fighting, or if there's actual like places where it's like hey come in here and fight with these swords. It's just. Seems like a, a hell of a liability. <laughs> it's a huge community if he's in the SCA and there's a handful of other ones like Battle of Nations that do it in more of a competitive league type oh, of sure. thing. And, and they also serve as nonprofit organizations where, where okay. they do education and big camping events and things like that. So there's actually a huge community. I've even gone to Sweden and done historical reenactment overseas, hmm. which is really cool. And it's still the same the same people. Right. That's very cool. It's so it's not Renfair. Renfair. It's the cooler version of Renfair. It's very adjacent <laughs> to Renfair. <laughs> so you you mentioned earlier about some car projects. You you're building some cars and I I've seen pictures of your car online. What, what what's the story behind the cars? Like it, it literally looks like it was just taken from a Mad Max movie. Um like, you know, it's like battle bots, but in real life. And um, so what, what's the story behind build, building these types of cars? And, and that is it for, do you use it like in your, like you go to the grocery store and yep. pick up groceries in this or you, you do. You go. <laughs> That's dope. That's my, it's my daily driver car. The story behind why my car is post-apocalyptic is because I did some body damage to my car and I said, well, I may as well make it look intentional and I was already part of the Wasteland community at that point, who has a very large custom car. It's very similar to the Rat Rod community where yeah. people are yep. building all things. And there's a, there's a mix. Some are street legal. Others are not street legal. Mine, mine is fully street legal. It also varies from state to state what you're doing. But that's my daily driver. I also have a, <laughs> I have a mini bike. We have a trailer. We have um, another one that is in progress. That is a volt, a Volkswagen being built onto a forerunner chassis. Um, okay. I have an old, an old 55 Volvo. I'm in the process of converting to electric. Uh, it, it's just, it, I like the scale of the projects and getting to do metal working and just the, the utility of them, I guess. 
actually getting to have usable art. Right. And it, right. I live in Los Angeles, so it <laughs> it's not completely uncommon to see. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say in Los Angeles, it probably doesn't turn as many heads as it would in like you know small town Idaho, um, driving around in a car like that. I'm definitely not the only weird person in LA. <laughs> <laughs> so how how often do uh, do people stop you in parking lots or on the street to ask you what what the deal with your car is? Is it daily or? Uh, it depends. Some people go out of their way to avoid me. Some people <laughs> want to talk to me. It also, I think, depends on how weirdly I'm dressed and how approachable I look that day. Okay. Um, I definitely get. I definitely get questions. I get some people saying, uh, asking if it's a time machine and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> Are you uh, from the future? Yeah. <laughs> um, kids, kids, kids get really excited about it. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Any, anything that's like crazy and cool and kind of in that, uh, that, that fantasy realm or like, you know, just outside of the norm, you know, just gets kids excited for sure. It's curious. Um, it's curious. It, sure. Yeah. Definitely curiosity. Um, so other than the cars, are there any other pieces that are, that you have that are just very strange or unique or just way out there? Cause I, I know you have like a mannequin with a TV for a head, right? Yeah. She's one of my favorite projects that I built for the cyberpunk event. So she plays dystopian ad content and some of the original video stuff that I've done runs through her head. She's my, she's my bartender at the event. So she will actually <laughs> uh, serve out drinks and stuff like that. Um, I built with my partner, a full office arcade in quarantine, which is fully decked out cyberpunk. So it's got like a neon lounge out front that's very 80s inspired and inside it's got the full arcade carpet and it's got a second story apartment that is done up like a, a capsule apartment um like uh, cool. like you would see in asia i have my movie theater set up out front which is designed all to look like old road signs and roadside attractions uh everything is built that's built to collapse and travel on a trailer I have my favorite stuff is always lighting, especially because it's really challenging in a desert to make an interesting appearance at night when there's a lot of power draw. Uh, So I've got a bunch of really, really big signage. That's very cool. Actually, one of my favorite pieces I think is, is we built a custom Frogger machine into (laughs) an old, an old newspaper box and we hooked it up so that it will only play using a single button. It's, it's, um, suicide frogger so you can only go forward with it and you have to use all of the cars and the directions that they're going in order to get across you can't go sideways or back that's a pretty fun piece so with with this whole culture and community that you're involved in do you have any like really cool or interesting stories um any uh have you met anybody like famous is there anything what what are some really cool stories behind this I'm, i'm very interested in just the whole idea of this community. It just seems really interesting. Uh, as far as people who are famous, uh, Jay Leno did a whole story on a lot of the custom car people where he had a, a car show for a while and you can, you can go and see that video and it's all, it's all wastelanders in that video. There, there was also a few years back uh, <laughs> Uber Uber did a marketing thing with the Mad Max game where they yep. hired a bunch of the people who have these custom cars 
and they flew them out out to PAX. And if you got an Uber ride, you could get one of the Mad Max cars, and that was huh. kind of a fun a fun little marketing thing they oh, did with cool. them as well. Uh, I think like one of the weirdest things that has happened to me personally at Wasteland is there. It's a community of about six or seven thousand people who come to the event, and uh, I, I run the the movie theater and arcade. And one of the things that people do there is um, canned food roulette, where they find the weirdest food that they can and remove the label from it and oh. uh, spin oh, it spin it I on a roulette, you. which is which is it. all. Yep, all about expanding your palate because in the apocalypse, of course, you'll you'll just eat what you'll eat. So, so in the apocalypse, it's, it's all about (laughs) expanding your palate and, uh, because you'll just eat what's available. Right. Um, and so I picked up, uh, silkworm larva and, and for my friend and he brought it to the event, which I didn't even go to. And later somebody came up to me when I was working the, uh, the merch booth and offered me a bite of something. Uh, randomly and I said sure why not and it turned out to be the silkworm larva that I had brought to the event and out of all <laughs> oh, 6,000 wow. people somehow it made it back to me like, nice karma yeah 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 that was that was on you I guess that, <laughs> you, you can't blame that on anybody where, else I guess where do you go and find silkworm larva in a can uh Asian markets you can find anything oh, okay. in <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, that's, it's not wrong. That's so. fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, so Alyssa, with, with that, I think that's probably about all the questions we got, unless Ian's got anything else to follow up with. No, I, I just think that's all really, really cool. That sounds like a really fun time. I guess, um, concerning that, when, when is it, if anybody's ever interested, when could they go and join up with something? Like yeah. That? How do they get involved? The cyberpunk event is called Neotropolis, and that is in April of next year. Okay. And Wasteland Weekend is in September every year, and it happens uh, in the California desert. The medieval reenactment event happens pretty much weekly or s- multiple times a month, and that one is international, so pretty much anyone can join SCA if they're interested. Cool. And the post-apocalyptic community has a lot of smaller events, uh, LARPs and, and festivals throughout the country as well. Very cool. Very cool. So, uh, Alyssa, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show here. Uh, generally, what we do is at the end, we just kind of give our guests a minute or two to, you know, let people know where they can connect with you or with Akupara to stay up to date on, you know, what you're doing, your streams or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you want to take a minute and just let people know where they can find you sure so for my personal stuff which is mostly cyberpunk and post-apocalyptic you can find me under either discordia dystopia or discord dystopia depending on the character limit on uh, on the (laughs) website choice Uh, i stream on twitch i do have a tiktok i'm pretty active on twitter i do a lot of like original blogs and industry advice type stuff if you have any questions about development or publishing or pitching always feel free to reach out i'm always happy to answer questions i could also be found through the indie houses which is our our publisher collective 
Akupara Games is big on Twitter and Twitch and uh, obviously on Steam. We publish to all of the consoles, even Stadia, and always have multiple games on the way out. So I think we're publishing four or five projects in 2022. I guess that's it. Well, again, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show here, Alyssa. Again, everybody, definitely go check her out. Um, keep up to date with Akapara Games, what she's going on. And if you're interested in any of that uh, wasteland or any, anything along those lines, uh, definitely definitely look into it. And um, again, thank you for coming on. It was good to talk to you, and I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate both having me. Thank you for listening to the Player 2 Podcast with Sean and Ian. You can find us on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram at RNG Streams to keep up to date on new episodes, support the show, and submit ideas to discuss on future episodes. Music by Aaron Lennon. Voiceover by Ian Scott. A special thanks to our guests and supporters that make this possible. <laughs>